This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the BAM Online Podcast. It is Monday in the afternoon. Of March the 29th, 2021, Travis Ryer, alongside fellow Bama Online staffer, Charlie Potter. We are on the heels of the Alabama men's basketball team seeing its 2020-2021 season come to a close at the hands of the UCLA Bruins up in Indianapolis on Sunday night. Crimson Tide Falls. 88-78, want to get Charlie's perspective on this final performance of Nate Oates' second season at the helm of Alabama men's basketball. I'm not sure, Charlie, either of us saw Alabama losing to an 11 seed at any time during the 2021 tournament. But again, another example of a team in UCLA playing its best at the right time of year. And, you know, Alabama just not quite on all cylinders, really in two of the three games, I think you could say in this NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about it on previous podcasts, just the path Alabama had to the elite eight and potentially the final four. It was, it was set up really nicely. You face Iona in the first game, then you get to face a 10 seed in uh, Maryland and then an 11 in UCLA. And you know, the Maryland game was, you know, that was a, pretty complete game. Alabama was pretty solid on both ends of the floor. Uh, But in this one, you know, just you look at the the stats. I mean, uh, they were 7 of 28 from 3. That's not a great night for Alabama. And they really struggled from the free throw line. They were 11 of of 25, 44%. I think I saw a stat uh, from from ESPN that that was the, the worst free throw shooting performance for a team that attempted at least 25 free throws. Uh, in the tournament since uh, 2003, which was Kansas, who went 12 of 30. So, um, you know, you, you clean up some free throw mistakes. You know, you just um, you get some more consistent performances out of the guys that you usually can lean on, and it's probably different. I mean, heck, it went, it went to overtime. Uh, it needed a, an Alex three, an Alex Reese three to, to send that game to overtime. So it was close, especially given the way that the first half played out. But it's just not the way that uh, Alabama and Natos wanted to see their their season in. But you mentioned it. I mean, it's a UCLA team that's, you know, Alabama's probably a better team. I think most people would agree with that. But UCLA's been playing this best of late, and, and that's what you have to do in March. The three Alabama seniors that we talked about so much throughout this season, and they've been integral to the success of this team when you look at Herb Jones and John Petty and, uh, Alex Reese, and they were all right in the middle of it late in that game last night. John Petty was better in the second half. I think we could all agree. Really, Alabama in general was much better uh, in the second half than it was in going down by 11 at the break, 40-29. to 29. Uh, Herb Jones, so great 
all year long. He's a guy you feel for because it's not so much that statistically he had a subpar night, uh, intangibly, uh, his leadership and his steadying influence and just his presence has been so critical to what this team has been able to accomplish and to see him, you know, not go out on better terms well, with the free throw misses late, had a big turnover late. Uh, conversely, Reese came up big, as you alluded to earlier, at the end of regulation with the Miracle 3 to get that game into the extra five minutes. Ultimately, though, Charlie, how do you see these guys being remembered where their contributions to this program are concerned? Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible way for Herb Jones to go out just because of how important he's been um, to the program, not just this year, but all four years that he's been in Tuscaloosa. I mean, he what, picked up two fouls, offensive fouls, in the first 41 seconds of the game, had to sit for a while. And then, yeah, I mean, he was 2-7 from the free throw line. It's just not, you know, for a guy that played with one hand last year, you know, hit two free throws with his uh, non-dominant hand in a game against LSU and has done so much. Uh, for the for the program for that to be the kind of the lasting memory or the last memory uh, for Herb Jones that that's really unfortunate but you know conversely a guy like Alex Reese um, you know heck just before the game we were seeing you know some preview stories bringing up uh, some past events that he's had that he's overcame and for him to to go out and hit a big shot like that that was big for Reese um, you know I was happy to see that and then John Petty you know, he's been streaky. Um, it hasn't been his best offensive year just from a consistency standpoint. But, you know, for him to go out and I think he scored 14 of his 16 points in the second half, um, mm-hmm. you know, was able to claw Alabama back into it. But, you know, hearing from Nate Oates after the game, um, he was talking about the importance of this team and, and what it's meant. You know, he, he talked about how he's going to remember this team as the one that changed the entire culture of Alabama basketball. And uh, he told the guys, whether it was in the locker room or maybe before, I imagine it was after the game that he's going to be talking about this team for the next 30 years. So um, I think that um, it's a team that was important for establishing and implementing the vision that Nate Oates has, but you know, he gives a lot of credit to those seniors, not just the three that have been around, but guys like Tyler Barnes to walk on, guys like Jordan Bruner who came in and was an immediate leader. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's a it's a trio that has been important, and um, I think they'll be missed for sure. So as we look ahead, and the future definitely seems bright because when games were on the line here down the stretch and in the postseason – we saw tons of Javon Quinterly. We saw tons of Keon Ellis. We saw plenty of Jawan Gary. It was great to see Josh Primo back from injury in the last couple of three games of the season. Roster-wise, we we expecting a lot, or most of these guys at least, that you know have eligibility remaining to be back with the Crimson Tide. I know it's fresh off the final game of the season, and the transfer portal stays high. We all understand that. Um, what are you thinking in terms of a returning roster this early uh, in the wake of the, the completion of the, the most recent season? When you look at it, Alabama has nine players that can return. Um, the, the seniors can return, too, because the NCAA is blanket waiver, but it doesn't sound like any of those guys are going to 
uh, choose to come back. They could, you know, they can always change their mind. We saw a couple football players do it, but just, you know, for consistency's sake, you have four seniors, scholarship seniors leaving and, and nine scholarship players returning. Um, you know, Nate Oates was, was asked about the future of this team. And, um, you know, we talked about the talent that they have. He mentioned guys like Quinterly and, and Shaq and Primo and then how big guys like Jawan Gary and Keon Ellis were down the stretch. And then a guy like, you know, Alex Chiku, who didn't play at all last year, set out with that Achilles injury. So that leaves guys like James Rojas, who I don't believe played against UCLA, um, you know, in that Sweet 16 matchup. And then Keon Ambrose Hilton and Darius Miles have been, you know, reserves you know, for most of the year. So, um, you know, it's basketball. There's always the chance for transfers. I mean, the offseason's kind of unpredictable. We've seen guys enter the portal. We've seen guys test NBA waters and then not hire an agent. You know, we'll see what happens. But with nine returners and then three players signed, that's, that puts them at 12. And so, you know, they have one spot available. It sounds like they're still recruiting some guys pretty heavily, whether it's, you know, members of the 2021 cycle or some transfers that are out there. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. If if everything goes to chalk, though, they get everybody back, and then they bring in the guys they have signed. They have one spot available. Um, you know, again, they're they're recruiting a bunch of guys, and you know, that would need to to see someone leave. That wouldn't be shocking, just given how basketball the landscape of that uh, sport is. So we'll see. But I think the the grand scheme of things, um, you know, Nate Oates is is really optimistic about the future. I believe he said the future of Alabama basketball is in a great spot. And that's because of the way they recruited and, and developed these players. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I guess, Charlie, I won't be surprised if a Javon Quinterly puts his name in without an agent. I mean, I right. think you get a couple of shots to do it. So that would make sense, actually, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, heck, last year we saw Herb Jones and John Petty do it and come back for their senior years. Um, you know, it, it never hurts to to try. I mean, Javon Quinterly is a guy now that's been out of high school for a few years and it's kind of off a really good season. I think he would like to be um, more than just a sixth man before he enters the draft. And it, it sounds like just the way that Oates has talked and the way that Quinterly's, you know, talked about things, especially on social media after the game last night, that he, he'll be back. But yeah, I, I wouldn't blame him at all just to to get feedback. I mean, that can't hurt a guy when he, he tests the waters and, and doesn't hire an agent. So, you know, again, they've, they've had multiple guys do it recent years. You know, they had three players do it last year with Kyra Lewis being the only one to stay in the draft. So it wouldn't shock me to see a guy or two do that this offseason, though. So as we put a wrap on the season, great season, good season, all-time season, where does it fall for you, given the exit in the round of 16 to an 11 seed? Yeah, I mean, NATO's called it a historic season, and I, I think great season is, is accurate. You and I talked about it before. Um, I think that the fact they didn't reach the Elite Eight uh, leaves fans disappointed, especially with the teams that they, um, you know, the, the way that the cards fell for Alabama and the, the matchups they had just in terms of the seeding aspect. Again, UCLA's playing really good basketball here of late, so, um, you know, hats off to them, but I think there's some some disappointment, which is honestly kind of good going into this offseason. You know, they tasted and experienced what they can do, um, and I think that will fuel them in the offseason program. But um, I think it's a great season. I mean, you look at it, they won 26 games, which is tied for the second most in program history. Um, you know, they won the SEC regular season and tournament titles. And then this is their first, you know, Sweet 16 appearance since 2004. So, uh, great season, you know, one of the best in, in program history. But I, you know, I think 
it, it still says a lot that the the expectation level has been raised by Nate Oates and his staff that there is some disappointment with a team that was able to get to the second weekend of the tournament that they felt like they could do more. We are going to take a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, we'll get into some football talk. Pro Day Aplente here in the last couple of weeks over off Bryant Drive. Had a couple of teleconferences, Zoom conferences with Alabama draft hopefuls. The most recent ones on Monday, even Nick Saban chimed in on that one. Charlie Potter wading through all the draft bloggers, you know. Messing up his connection, you know, these guys blogging out of basements and everything else. But Charlie, he hung in there. We'll get Charlie's thoughts on the upcoming Pro Day set for Tuesday at UA. The ascent, perhaps, of Mac Jones to the number three overall spot in the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll also talk some spring football with Charlie as well. Some coaching news, perhaps, both in terms of filling a staff spot unexpectedly came open in the last week with Jay Graham leaving the University of Alabama and also some standard operating procedure where contract finalization is concerned as well. We'll do all that with Charlie Potter when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back with more of a Monday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. It is March the 29th. 2021 and if you haven't already subscribed to the bama online podcast what in the world are you waiting on it's free it's as simple as a couple of clicks you get to hear the the soothing voice of charlie potter on a (laughs) consistent basis here on the bama online podcast we'd certainly appreciate you subscribing to the pod leave us a rating and a review while you're there that would be great as well Charlie, as promised, going to get into some football talk here on the back half of this edition of the BOL podcast and just a different deal altogether, how the pro days are working uh, this year uh, in in relation to some previous years. And because the combine's not a real thing up in Indianapolis, thankfully we had some hoops up in Indianapolis to sort of fill that void for those folks. But um Mac Jones, man, what are you making of this uh, this 49er talk with Mac and the Niners going up to third? Sort of ironic that the Niners traded with Tua Tonga Vailoa's Dolphins to go up there, but you think this is realistic, perhaps, that, that Mac Jones could end up number three overall to the Niners? I mean, there's a lot of smoke, and when there's smoke, there's usually fire, so... Um... You know, it, it, again, though, it's it's a situation to where there's going to be a lot of chatter between now and the, the end of April when it comes to the draft. And, you know, sometimes teams like to, to tip their hand one way or, you know, um, you know, throw some throw the scent off, throw people off the scent of what they want to do in the draft. And it's clear, though, that the 49ers are moving up to take a quarterback because everyone knows that the the Jags, your Jags, are going to take you know Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. And then you know with Absolutely. the Jets sit there at 
at two, you got to think that, um, you know, probably Zach Wilson out of BYU, unless something, you know, unforeseen happens. And with that, you know, the 49ers are going to take who they believe is the third best quarterback in this draft. Now, is that Mac Jones? Um, you know, I think that uh, that's a possibility. There's certainly a lot of chatter about that. You also have to take into account Justin Fields out of Ohio State, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility and good for Mac. I mean, heck, I, you look back at last year, I don't think any of us thought this was a possibility. But with what he was able to do last season, with what he was able to do in Mobile during senior bowl practice week, I know he wasn't able to play in the game, but he pre- impressed a lot of people you know, just by going through that week's practices before kind of tweaking his ankle. And then now at these pro days, I mean, Alabama had its first pro day last week, last Tuesday. And I think Mac threw about you know 50 or so passes. And now on Tuesday, he's going to throw again. I think he said he's got about a 60 pass script that he's going to go through. And it sounds like he's going to have at least Najee Harris out there. Maybe, um, you know, Devontae Smith or, or Jalen Waddle will try to give it a go. I'm not sure yet, but you know, for Mac to even be in this discussion says a lot. And, you know, for him, he has went out on a limb and, and not really out on a limb, but he's made it public and said that he believes he's the best quarterback on the board when it comes to just, you know, getting on the whiteboard and talking X's and O's. But that also translated to the field with the record setting season that he had. So would it shock me if a team traded up to, to take Mac Jones at number three? At this point, no. I mean, you and I have seen enough NFL football that teams are, if they like a quarterback, they're going to you know, go all in and, and mm-hmm. do something crazy. So that'd be great for Mac. Uh, the 49ers would be a, a solid landing spot. And uh, we'll see, though. I mean, there's still plenty of time to go before the first round of the draft. I mean, we could still see more trades because it seems like they were you know, firing off the other day at a, a 30-minute pace. Yeah, it's uh, definitely hectic. And so – in that scenario, obviously, Mac would be the first Alabama player off the board at number three to San Francisco behind a couple other quarterbacks, as you outlined, uh, Trevor Lawrence to the Jags, Zach Wilson to the Jets, and you'd have three quarterbacks in a row. Perhaps you could end up with four, or maybe even five in the top eight or so if it plays out that way, because, again, these these teams, they, they get the quarterback fever, man, and, and they're going to go get them a a, a signal caller when it when it comes down to it if they even have anything close to a pressing need at that position where i like mac a lot of people i know that raises eyebrows to hear mac jones number three overall i will say this about mac in comparison to really just about every other quarterback i think with trevor lawrence you could make the argument that he's as pro ready as any quarterback in this draft but if he isn't mac jones is that guy and so when we're talking four, high four for a quarterback going into the league, I think Max four might be the highest of any of these guys. Now, is the ceiling up there with a Trey Lance or even a Justin Fields or Zach Wilson? No, I'm not going to make that argument for him. But if you're looking to plug and play maybe at the quarterback position and if the Niners do something with Jimmy Garoppolo, that would be the case. Um, Matt could be that guy. He could be that guy. Let me ask you this, Charlie. If Mac Jones isn't the first guy off the board for Alabama, who is? I mean, we're here. You're seeing Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith now in some mocks, kind of Henry Ruggs the third-ish, uh, ahead of ultimately Jerry Judy a year ago. Patrick Sertan is up there as well. Who would be your next guy right now? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to look at the the board and where it currently stands. And like we mentioned a second ago, uh, it can change pretty quickly. But you know, the Dolphins, you know, making a couple of trades and and being at number six now, it seems like the the first spot where you know if if, if Mac isn't off the board at number three, it could be where wide receivers taken because you know the Dolphins need some help for Tua. It sounds like they're all in for him, which is which is good news. And then right behind them at number seven. Uh, the the Lions they need some help for Jared Goff and so I think those two spots are where we could see a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith and you know the the narrative now is just the concerns over Devontae Smith's size and um, you know he's a guy that he's not doing a lot at pro days if anything he's getting measured and the 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 belief is that he's weighing 170 pounds and, and Nick Saban even talked about that today just um, you know the the criticisms over, you know, his size and, and what he brings to the table. But he talked about how, you know, they were kind of worried about him whenever they recruited him. Devontae weighed 159 pounds coming out of Amy High School. And then, you know, he turned out to be what he was and, you know, his toughness, his tenacity. There's not a lot of guys that bring that same or those same attributes to the table. So I think that Waddle or Devontae could could go either one of those spots and then Say they don't. Say there's more shifting or whatever. Um, the Cowboys at ten for for Patrick Sertan. Uh, they've kind of been a, a favorite of sorts. You know, when you look at these mock drafts to to pair him with Trayvon Diggs, another former Alabama corner. So that would be the the way that I would lean. But you know, it, it looks like Jalen Waddell, if he's healthy, is a guy that's been right there in the mix in the top ten picks. So I, I might lean toward Waddell when it comes to that. Yeah, you talk about health. That's where Tuesday's going to be pretty telling, I would say, for not only Jalen Waddle but some other guys. Uh, Landon Dickerson, obviously, going to need to update his status. I think he was able to do that last week at the first pro day. But I know you heard from Dylan Moses on Monday, too, and that was very interesting to hear what he had to reveal about his health status back in the fall. Because as we talked about and we knew, and I think everybody knew, and that wasn't the Dylan Moses really for much of that season that we expected to see a year removed from the ACL. And for good reason, it sounds like, Charlie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got through and was able to ask him about just his health and what he planned to do at tomorrow's pro day, if anything. And he said he feels great. Um, he's been doing a lot of rehab, but he revealed that he had surgery back on February 9th to you know, repair a, a torn meniscus that, he played most of the season with last year. And so um, once the season was over, he was able to get an MRI and get it checked out and get everything fixed. And ever since then, he's been doing rehab. And uh, tomorrow he's not going to do uh, anything but interviews. And it sounds like teams are, are aware of that. They know what's going on with him. I'm sure his representation has been in touch with them and, and they know what's going on. But just to hear that, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we knew that um, you know, Dylan was playing through some pain. You know, He kind of revealed that. Uh, during the postseason last year and just watching him play you knew he wasn't um, the same Dylan Moses he was out there and, and gutting it out and now to learn that you know he was playing through what he said was a torn meniscus that's, that's pretty substantial um, and also goes to show just what kind of competitor he is but um, he said he thinks it happened in the third game of the season and um, it was initially diagnosed as a bone bruise but it kept bothering him and so uh, the the telling thing to me like the the big news was that he just never spoke up about it. He's he's more of an introvert. He's a guy that, you know, keeps to himself, but he also you know, wants to stay on the field. So he, you know, played through the pain and, and everything like that and tried to help his team win a national championship. So um, for Dylan, 
it again it, it makes a lot of sense it reveals kind of what i think a lot of people believed and and knew about him but you get it straight from from his mouth and you know, Nick Saban also talked about it. He he mentioned how they drained his knee a few times, and um, you know Dr. Kane and, and his staff made all the decisions of how to manage him throughout the season. And Dylan was aware of it, and he wanted to play. And again, it just, just at the end of the day, it, it shows what kind of leader he is uh, on that defense, and you know how beneficial just having him out there as the the signal caller was. And um, you know it's just good news that he didn't further hurt his knee or. Um, a knee to where it would be detrimental for his career. Sounds like he's feeling better and, you know, hoping to play with the NFL team here pretty soon. Yeah, as far as Alabama spring practice goes, we were going to get into some of that. But earlier on Monday, there were reports, I believe footballscoop.com was among the first, the very first to get that out. And we were later able to confirm that Drew Savota, the recently hired, I guess, special teams coach at Memphis, previously of Rice, and before that, a head high school football coach in the Houston area. Sounds like, Charlie, that he's a name that could be heating up where a potential replacement for Jay Graham might be concerned. Yeah, and, um, you know, it sounded like when Nick Saban talked about this um, last week after Wednesday spring practice that, um, you know, they're going to take their time. A lot of people are in the middle of spring practice like they are, but, you know, we, after, you know, seeing this report and and doing some digging, it it sounds like he's a a legitimate candidate. You know, we've seen the reports, obviously. I mean, you just pointed it out, but we confirm it's kind of heading in that direction. It's not done yet. Um, It it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to become official. But, you know, that's kind of the way it's trajecting right now. I'd say he's a top candidate. And, you know, like I saw you mentioned it in, in the thread on our message board, you know, the, the ties to Texas, losing guys like Jeff Banks, who was obviously the special teams coordinator last year. Um, you know, that helps Alabama in recruiting. And, you know, he's an, an up and coming coach. We've seen Nick Saban hire those uh, of late, especially you look at Pete Golding, you look at Carl Scott, um, you know, guys that just weren't household names before and, and now you know they were able to to do some good for Alabama so it would make a lot of sense we'll see if it happens I, I don't know if it'll be something that becomes official or anything before spring practice is over but um yeah we'll see I mean Nick Saban moves at his own pace and uh it sounded like initially he was gonna wait till spring practice was over but that might not be the case anymore guys with Memphis experience as assistant coaches have worked out pretty good for Nick Saban in the past Holman Wiggins, wide receivers coach for Alabama, on his coaching resume, a stint there in Memphis with Justin Fuente before moving on with Fuente to Virginia Tech. And then, of course, Holman came on board a couple of seasons ago. So interesting, too, that Memphis head coach Ryan Silverfield himself interviewed for the offensive line job here at Alabama in 2019 before uh, Kyle Flood was hired. Um, Silverfield was in that mix, stayed put, ended up staying put at Memphis and, uh, later became the replacement to Mike Norvell as the next head coach at Memphis, man, the coaching carousel, Charlie, it just, it just never stops. Now, as far as recent hires for Alabama standard operating procedure coming up later on Monday, right? Where contracts are concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, board of trustees of UA system is going to meet and 
you know, go over their or their compensation committee is going to meet and go over some um, you know contracts and and uh, it looks like it, it's it's all Alabama. It's all nine assistant coaches. So the the new yeah, hires some bonus, maybe some raises and some extensions in there, Charlie. I imagine right. so, and and that that includes Pete Golding for everyone out there listening. <laughs> Good for Pete. But it also includes David Ballou and Matt Ray, the the heads mm-hmm. of the strength and conditioning. You have Jeff Allen in there, um, who's in charge of Alabama sports medicine. Uh, I believe Bob, Bob Welton, the director of player personnel. And then you also have Nate Oates. You know, he's listed there at the bottom. So that contract extension that uh, Alabama announced not too long ago will will likely get approved. I mean, these things you never see really any hiccups uh, when it comes to getting these approved. So I, I don't expect that today, but we'll get some numbers and, um, you know, just some official word, you know, from Greg Byrne and, and those on the call. And we'll have all that updated on BOL later this afternoon. Absolutely. We'll have complete coverage for you there at BamaOnline.com. On the field so far, we've gotten into pads in spring practice. And I think, as we know, we talked about before, and you've certainly covered for us. We've covered there at Bama Online. So many things to consider on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I know you've been involved in some Q&As with, with Nick Saban and some questions about Keelan Robinson here lately and that running back mix. Brian Robinson has been asked about Keelan Robinson. Sounds like really positive feedback where he's concerned after the opt-out season in 2020. The offensive line with uh, notable absence there at uh, the interior spots, uh, some young guys getting some opportunities. Uh, and then at wide receiver with John Mechie uh, in that situation with him coming off of offseason surgery and the opportunities there is that sort of been the, the focal point. And that's understanding defensively still a couple of key spots that that this team has to hone in on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've, I've wrote a bunch about offense you know to start spring practice and that's not really a surprise I mean you have to replace eight starters from that side of the ball and two of those guys like you talked about uh, John Mechie and, and Emil Ekior are, are sidelined by injuries right now so really you have Evan Neal and I guess you could throw Slade Bolden into that mix as returning starters and uh, it's just been fascinating to kind of see it play out early on there's not just a ton of news it, it's kind of what you would expect I mean Bryce Young of course everyone wants to talk about the quarterback he's been mentioned you know, both times Nick Saban's, you know, uh, addressed us. And it's like right now he's a little bit ahead of the other quarterbacks. You know, my understanding is he's a guy that's taking majority of the first team reps, uh, which, you know, being the only other guy uh, to play last year, not named Mike Jones, that, that shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Uh, but it sounds like Paul Tyson's also, you know, getting some first team work. And the offensive line, it's, it's something that I wouldn't anticipate would be the same as it is, you know, maybe uh, in Tuesday's practice as it is at the end of spring or even when preseason camp rolls around because you don't have a Milik you're out there. And, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces and some young guys, I think, uh, could, could challenge for some spots. And then you know, the rest of it, you know, it's it's a situation where you're going to have to f- have some skill players step up, um, you know, at the running back position. I think they feel really good about several guys and it is good to hear that Keelan Robinson is you know getting some some run early and doing some good things after, my guy yeah my guy Keelan Robinson missing last what year. is it Nick what is it Nick oh gosh what does Nick Saban say about Keelan Robinson Charlie he's got the juice yes the juice the juice hey um let me ask you this about the defensive side because we don't we don't get to talk about it probably enough 
uh, corner and inside linebacker. Is it a couple of Jalen's at those spots right now where you talk about uh, potential replacements for Patrick Sertan and uh, Dylan Moses, respectively? I think so. And, yeah, I, I realized that a second ago. I can start to get rolling when I start to run down the roster. I feel like uh, Will Muschamp at SEC Media Days when he kind of filibusters before getting questions. Filibuster but, Potter. Yeah. yeah. I can just get on a roll and start to run down the roster. But <laughs> <laughs> you are right about the inside linebacker position and the cornerback spot opposite of uh, Josh Job because right now it sounds like Jalen Moody's been – opposite of Christian Harris and Jalen Armour Davis, who came in in that same class with Josh Job and Patrick Sertan has been, you know, getting some run with the ones again, it's early, you know, I'm not writing any of this in anything but pencil at this point. Um, yeah. You know, our race marker is even a stretch at this point, but um, you know, there's some, these are vet, these are veteran guys. So this yeah. is what you expect, right? Early in spring. This is typically how it works. Not that, Look, both these guys may end up nailing down the jobs, but this is kind of how it goes in spring, right? It is, and I think there's probably more competition at corner just because we saw what Jalen Moody was able to do at Arkansas last year, stepping in for Christian Harris. Um, you know, it sounds like a guy like Ronald Williams is doing some nice things. The junior college transfer from last year. Um, you still have guys like Marcus Banks, a Brandon Turnage. You know, Jacquez Robinson's a year older. You have Jaquincy McKinstry, who's uh, on campus, the former five-star. You'll be adding another junior college transfer and Kyrie Jackson later in the summer. So the cornerback spot is going to have some options. But with what Jalen Moody was able to do last year, and given how much uh, or how long Jalen Armour Davis has been in the program, we even saw him in the, the national championship game a little bit. It doesn't surprise me at all to see some program veterans kind of step in there and, and work with the first team to go through the first week or so of practice. Yeah, Jalen Armour Davis is interesting because it seems like we've seen him more at like star mm-hmm. inside. Uh, but good for him. You know, he's bided his time and uh, he's been pretty much a reserve behind some talented guys. And, you know, here's his window. And we've talked about it before, man. When those windows come about at Alabama, you, you got to hit them uh, because they, they close pretty quickly. And uh, so we'll see how it goes with those. Uh, program veterans to this point and trying to solidify some roles in that Alabama defense. I think we hit it, Charlie. I think we're good here. So uh, I'll let you get back to the Zoom conferences with the, <laughs> the draft guys, you know, and uh, wading through that traffic. I know you enjoy that. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if if everyone didn't ask the player how they were doing because they said they were <laughs> doing well to begin and uh, I, I actually right. appreciated Miller Forstall. We talked to him last week. I think he answered every um, draft blogger differently when they asked him how he was doing. So he said, doing well, <laughs> couldn't be better, fine and dandy. Uh, that one out there. So appreciate Miller for yeah. mixing it up and, and having a good time. There you go. It's the little things that make Charlie Potter happy. You know? <laughs> it's, the, it's the details. We like it. Hey, Charlie, appreciate it as always, man. Great stuff for us there at Bama Online, too. Appreciate it. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. Yes, it is. There he goes, Charlie Potter. I'm Travis Schreier. Thanking you once again for joining us on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Help us out. Give us a rating, five-star rating preferred. But we'll take a rating and a review. Be honest. We're not asking you to be disingenuous or anything like that. But as always... 
subscribe to the podcast, it's instantly going to upload to that mobile device, however you consume pods. You're going to get it first thing for Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. We'll talk to you again right here on the Bama Online Podcast real soon.